Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd use it to be a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We commit this time, these moments to you. In the wonderful, in the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. We all have those people in our life that I like to refer to as balloon people. Balloon people. They're the people for whom everything has an inflated story to it. If you ran a mile, they walked 10. If you jumped over a puddle, they jumped over Lake Apopka. Right? If you broke your finger, they lost an arm. Right? They're the bigger and better people. Everything is always inflated. Everything is always larger than life. Anybody have those folks in your life, the bigger and better people, the balloon people? And, and here's what I find that's interesting about balloon people. Is in, in, inevitably, they, sh- they do one of two things. They either shrink back to normal size or they burst. They shrink back to normal size or they burst. Now, every once in a while, you'll come upon somebody that when you first hear them, you think, oh, it's another balloon person. Only to discover that they are the real deal. I, I love this story. Uh, a few years ago, one of the players in the NBA, Reggie Miller, was being interviewed uh, on one of the talk shows. And they asked Reggie the question. They said, so who's the biggest talker in the NBA? Who's the biggest trash talker in the NBA? And he says, well, it depends on how you would classify that. He said, I will tell you this. He said, Michael Jordan is a talker. He said, man, Michael Jordan would just jaw on everybody. He said, but let me tell you the experience that I had with Michael Jordan. He said, in my rookie year, he said, we were playing against Michael Jordan, and he's just talking the whole game long, just in my ear all game long. And with just over a minute left to go, we are up by 11 points. And my teammates go, you know what, Michael's always talking trash to everybody. Michael's always this, Michael's always that. Dude, look at the scoreboard. We have won this game. You need to let Michael have it. And so Reggie Miller tells a story that he started saying, oh, yeah, the great Michael Jordan, huh? You are this big deal. And and Michael Jordan, in less than a minute, scored 14 points and won the game. And he said, I learned this. He goes, I learned never mess with Michael because Michael would tell you that he was going to do it, and then he would do it. There are those people in our life that at first glance you would think, ah, they're balloon people. But then they have a way of displaying true greatness. Let me give you some names. David Ho. Anybody here know who David Ho is? How about Wally Brandt? Harlow Curtis, William Westmoreland. All four of these men in the last century have been Time Magazine's Man of the Year. And yet, they are relative unknowns. They have drifted back into obscurity. Why? Because fame by itself is fleeting. This issue of of staying power, 
This issue of this name Jesus, what is it that makes this name so powerful? Why is it that the story of Jesus has staying power? Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, to those who believed in his name, to those who believed in his name, Jesus was not the only person to claim to be Messiah. In fact, in, in Acts, the fifth chapter, the disciples, they're, they're talking about Jesus, and, and they're, 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 they're brought in, and they're confronted by the Sanhedrin, and they say, listen, we don't want you talking about this guy Jesus anymore, okay? He's dead, he's gone, give it up. To which only encouraged, inspired, empowered the disciples. And so they began to tell the story all the more. And so infuriated, the Sanhedrin brought them in once again. And, and, and in fact, they decided that they wanted to put them to death. And here's what it says in Acts 5.33. It says, when they heard this, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, and when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put the disciples to death. But a Pharisee, a man by the name of Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, he stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while that these disciples, that they be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, and this is what he said. He said, men of Israel, consider carefully what you do to these men. Some time ago, Judas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and all his followers dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean, he appeared in the days of the census and led a band in a revolt. He too was killed, and all of his followers scattered. And, and it, it amounted, once again, to nothing. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, if this guy, Jesus, really is who he claims to be, you will not only not be able to stop these men, you will simply find yourselves fighting against God. Now, now, here's what we find from this story in Acts chapter 5. Jesus isn't the only person in history to have claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus isn't even the only person in his time frame to claim to be the Messiah. In fact, there have been hundreds since Jesus who have claimed to be the Messiah, 37 that have had such a, a significant claim and such a substantial following that they've made their way into the history, into the history books. Here, here's a few names as an example. The Reverend Sung Young Moon claimed to be the Messiah. David Koresh claimed to be, be the Messiah. There are still people today that are claiming to be the Messiah. What makes Jesus different. And also, what makes him not simply a good teacher? I am. It's the declaration that, that God made starting in Genesis. I am. Jesus, in John 6, 
said for the very first time, recorded in Scripture, I am. He had fed 5,000 men plus women and children that were there gathered in the wilderness to hear him speak. After that, the disciples had left. The disciples had left in the only boat that was along the seashore. The, the, those who had followed Jesus, the crowd that had amassed, they, they knew that Jesus was somehow gone. They also knew that there was only one boat, and it had left before him. And so they pondered, they wondered, wh- where could he have gone? After some time of going, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? They head over to the other side of the lake. When they find him, they go, Jesus, what's the deal? How did you get over here and... and and, and what's, what's happening today? To which Jesus said, listen, you didn't come because you're interested in me. The only reason you came is because I fed you yesterday and you're hoping that I feed you again. And they were like, well, yeah, but okay, so what should we be doing? Well, you should be followers of God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to do the will of God? Well, here's what it means. It means to follow the one who he sent. Okay, Jesus, we'll follow you but how about this? How about you give us some miraculous sign that proves that you are who you claim to be? Okay, forget the fact that yesterday he fed them with one little boy's lunch, right? Forget about that miracle. It gets even better. Jesus, how about you do some miraculous sign? Hey, here's an idea. Remember when God fed the, ch- the children of Israel in the wilderness with manna? How about that? How about you do a manna thing? Seriously, it's all about food with you people, isn't it? That's why it's not good when I go past noon on a Sunday morning, because I know we still have that same problem today, don't we? It's all about food. And Jesus said this. He said, I'm the bread of life. He who experiences this bread, he will not hunger anymore, nor will he thirst anymore. I am the bread of life. I am that which gives energy to your very being. It's one of seven statements that he makes, one of the great I am statements that Jesus makes. And in these I am statements, here's what, and I I love what the brilliant mind and noted author C.S. Lewis said about Jesus and the fact that he makes these I am statements. Here's what C.S. Lewis said in conclusion. He said this, he said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He, he wouldn't be somebody who would be respected. He either has to be Lord of all or not at all. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says that a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who said he was a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man, referring to Jesus, either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with some patronizing nonsense about him being a good guy, a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So, friend, Jesus is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. He's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And he can't be a way 
because he closed the door on that when he said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's, it's important that we reconcile this. This topic, this question is very important. It's very important because of the influence, the impact that Jesus is supposed to have in my life, in your life. Because of the intent that God has in creating this opportunity for relationship with him. And that's the reason why. Not in an attempt to be exclusive or divisive. When we look at the other religions of the world, we can't simply get along to go along because of Jesus' claim when Jesus said, I am the only way. You can't just summarily dismiss that. And it's recorded in Scripture, and we already, looking last week, we already looked and have exhaustive proof that the Bible is real. And so we have to deal with this. We, we, have, to, we have to reconcile this. The fact that Jesus claimed to be deity is huge. In, in, in John chapter 8, Jesus said this. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Now that bold claim, in that moment when Jesus said that, it tells us this in John's gospel, that they, that they wanted to stone him. And, and listen, rightly so. Because to claim that you are God is blasphemy. In, 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 in that moment, as they were operating under this law, Mosaic law, at that moment to blaspheme, Mosaic law made it very clear that you were, that was a capital crime, and you were to be stoned to death. He, he was actually claiming to be the God to whom Moses spoke to at the burning bush when, when he asked God what his name was, right? When Moses asked God what his name was, what did God say? He said, I am the I am. And Jesus, in John chapter 8, he, he repeats that same statement. Before Abraham was, I am. I am. And I love the fact that God says, I am the I am. Why? Because whatever you need, God says this, fill in the blank. I am your redeemer. I am your restorer. I am your healer. I am your provider. I am your peace. I am your shelter. I am your sustainer. I am your comforter. I am your destiny. I am the I am. And Jesus makes the same claim. He says, I am. I find it interesting that Jesus makes seven I am statements. Why do I find that interesting? Here's the reason why I find that interesting. There are seven I am statements in the book of Genesis. There are 21 I am statements in the book of Exodus. Now, if you know much about this issue of numerology, seven in Scripture is considered to be the number of completion. So, in Genesis, seven I am statements. In Exodus, 21 I am statements, seven three times. In Psalms, there are seven I am's that speak prophetically about the future sufferings of the incarnate Christ. 
In Isaiah, there are 35, seven times five, there are 35 I am statements. The book of Ezekiel contains 70 of these great assertions, more than any other book. Jeremiah contains 21 of these statements. The, mi- the minor prophets, 21 I am's. All told, there are 154 I am claims, 22 times 7 claims, I am. You then get into the New Testament, seven times Jesus says, I am. And here's what Jesus was saying, I am the I am. Now, why does this matter? Here's the reason why it matters. Because the final statement that's made in the Old Testament is this, I am the Lord, I do not change. And then coming into that, here's what what Jesus says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the, the gate or the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the true vine. And in these statements, here's what we discover. And this is why it's significant to have an understanding of who Jesus is in the fact that Jesus is the way to embrace your eternal destiny. It's because in Jesus and in in these I am statements, and only in Jesus, and and, and in his I am statements, do we come to this understanding of how God sees us. See, only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus impacts how God sees us. That's what Jesus declared in in John 14 when he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. In John 11 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. This is the reason why there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at me, God sees something that is whole. He sees something that is right. The Word of God declares that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes my sins, my shortcomings, every time I miss the mark. That's how far God removes it from me. I love to ask people this question, is there anything that God doesn't know? And people's immediate answer is, nope, God knows everything. To which I'll go, not true. Oh, come on, pastor, God knows everything. No, he doesn't. What does God not know? God does not know my sin. God doesn't know your sin either because the Word of God says that he chooses to remember your sin no more, that he chooses to forget your sin. How does he do that? He does that through the restorative work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, and only Jesus can pay the price for your sins, and that's the reason why he has to be the only way, because only Jesus is very God of very God, right? God declares, I am. Jesus declares, I am. Nobody else can make that claim. 
Jesus was indeed. Prophecy proves, historic, uh, history validates that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, suffered, bled, died on the cross, conquered death, hell, and the grave, and rose on the third day. So, Jesus is not a great prophet. Jesus is not a simply a moral teacher. Jesus is not just some good guy that ticks some people off and so they killed him. He is the resurrection and the life. It's interesting to know that Jesus made that statement, I am the resurrection, prior to going to the cross. See, this is, it's significant because it changes the way that God sees us. Everyone, I don't care who you are, everyone, once you breathe your last, you will stand before God. And you're going to stand before God in one, two, in one of two places of judgment. You're either going to stand before God, before the white throne of judgment, and in that place you will receive the penalty that you deserve. Or you're going to stand before God at the Bema seat, and that's the judgment where it's determined your reward. Now, the difference between those who stand before the white throne of judgment and the Bema seat, it is not based on what they have done or haven't done. It's based on the fact, solely on the fact of whether or not they've accepted Jesus Christ as the Son of God and their Savior. Jesus Christ is the key. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the resurrection and the life. So how God sees you is based on how you embrace the great I am statements of Jesus. And he is the only way. What I love about this is Jesus doesn't just impact the way that God sees us if we have an understanding of what he has declared, it influences the way that we see ourselves. Right? This is the reason why Paul could say this. He could say that if anyone, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things are gone, the new has come. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul said. I no longer live. The life that I now live, I live by faith. You'll, you'll hear Christians use this term talking about the old man and the new man. By the way, folks, let me help you out with this. This is a free bonus. There should be a difference between the old man and the new man. Come on now. It changes the way that we see ourselves. When Jesus said, I am the vine, I am the true, I am the true vine, and, and he explained to us that what, what he does is he grafts us into the vine. In other words, the vine, this source of life, this source of everything that you need for sustenance, right? He echoes this idea of him being the true vine with the scripture that I mentioned earlier in John chapter 6 where he says, I am the bread of life, right? 
That's what he says in John 6, 35. He says this, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So it changes our understanding of who we are. It changes our understanding of our destiny. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He has grafted me into the vine. And I know that I have everything that I need for life and godliness because he is the bread of life. And so I can echo the thought of David when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God's got me, and he's got you too. You can trust in him. He is more than big enough. He is the I am. The I am the I am. I am fill in the blank. Far too many people, even people who profess to be Christians, live their life freaked out. Worried about this, worried about that. And in that anxiety, here's what we do. We will sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, what we'll do is we'll live our life counter to the principles that we find in the Word because we're operating in fear. So we won't be obedient to what God says as it relates to relationships as it relates to responsibilities, as it relates to handling our resource, we'll do things our way instead of God's way because we're operating in fear. And then when life doesn't work out the way that we think it should, you know who we raise our fist at? God. God, why have you done this to me? And he said, listen, I told you I am the bread of life and you keep trying to feed yourself. It's very important that we have this understanding of the I am statements because it changes the way that we see God. God is not this big bloodshot eyeball in the sky, lightning bolt in hand, waiting to zap you. He's also not Bette Midler in her song in the late 80s was wrong. God's not watching you from a distance. He knows the very numbers of hairs that there are on your head. And Jesus described our relationship with him and our relationship with the Father rightly when he said this, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. God's posture towards you is not a posture like this, it's a posture like this. And knowing that, knowing that I can live my life in God's embrace, that I can come to him and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. It changes how I see him. It also changes how I see me. It also changes how I see others. Jesus made this declaration. He said, I am the gate. And I am the light of the world. And when you're walking in relationship with God and he illuminates the world around you, here's what you'll recognize. Not, oh my goodness, look at this big bad world. Because when you see the world from Jesus' perspective, here's what you see. You see a world that's in trouble, that desperately needs a Savior. And Jesus says, I am the Savior. I am the gate. I am the answer for you to move from desperation to destiny. And here's what we will do. We will not stand in judgment of the people that are outside. But what we'll do is we'll be a welcoming party saying, come on. Come on. This is why, as a pastor, I'll do things like friend day. And some of you might think that the idea of friend day is cheesy. 
Can I tell you something? On some levels, it is, but unashamedly. I will do it, because I will tell you probably the greatest thing that I've experienced in the two years that I've known Calvary and the year and a half that I've been your pastor was the opportunity to greet my neighbors sitting in church on Sunday morning because they came for friend day. That was worth it to me. If we, if we really believe what the Bible says, if we really believe that he is the light of the world and we really believe he is the gate, how? Help me with this. How can you walk out of here today and not as a blinding light showing people what a super Christian you are, please don't do that. I, 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 get, I get so weary of having to clean up your messes. Not as a blinding light, but as a guiding light. How can you not go out and say, listen, here, there's, c- come here, you, you want to check this out. You want to see this. Because it's, As Jesus illuminates the world around you, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see people that are imprisoned, but they don't know it. That are blinded, but they don't know it. That are shackled, but they don't know it. They don't need your judgment and condemnation. But what they do need is they need an invitation to see and experience Jesus for who he really is. That he is the bread of life. That he is the resurrection and the life. That he is the gate. That he is the door. That he is the good shepherd. That he is the good shepherd. Lastly, Jesus will change, should forever change, should increase your understanding. It should it should have a massive impact on how you see the world. For God so loved the world. This is why I'm going to share who Christ is with my neighbor. It's the reason why I pray for my city. It's the reason why I'm concerned about this nation of ours, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. It is, it is why we have to be impactful for our world. It's, it's why last Sunday I gave you an opportunity to give and a fire Bible offering, and, and why before the end of the year I will give you an opportunity to give in that same fire Bible offering. Because quite honestly, church, let me tell you this, that offering should have been three times what it was. And I don't say that in judgment, but I do say that in challenge. We have to be concerned about the world around us. We have to. For God so loved the world I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 1 starts in verse number 1. I think it's significant that it starts, John 1 starts the same way 
that Genesis 1 starts. In the beginning. I want you to listen to this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, it's interesting that the Word is being referred to as Him. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, the glory of the one and only, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, Jesus is not a way. He is the only way. Now here's the good news. That's totally cool because you don't need a different way. Right? And when Jesus made the statement that I mentioned a few moments ago in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus said this, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, place your burdens upon me. He, he, he made the statement. He said, place your burdens upon me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For my yoke, now you might hear that, hear that term and think, yoke, what do eggs have to do with it? it it's not egg yoke. Okay? Here's what Jesus is referring to. He's using an agricultural term. And the yoke, the yoke is what's put in, in, in farming when they're farming with animals. The yoke is what's put across two animals to partner them together. Okay? And so what it does is it's a yoke is what connects together. So Jesus says this. He says, listen, connecting with me is not hard. And it doesn't bring a whole lot of junk into your life, okay? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Religion has made connecting with God very complicated and very difficult. That was never God's plan. It was never His plan. God's plan is not don't smoke, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang around with those that do. Okay? It's not living this pious life. A lot of people think that connecting with Jesus means I have to eliminate all the fun out of my life. Do you know why they have that impression? It's because the church has given them the wrong impression. Shame on the church. Funnest place to be is right in the middle of God's will. 
I have the time of my life. I live out John 10.10 when Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and I've come, but I've come that you might have life and have it in its abundance. So this morning, it's, man, it's not about joining a church. It's not about connecting with a church. It's not about a whole lot of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. In fact, I will say this. If you're here as a guest and your church home is a place where they throw a bu- bunch of rules and regulations at you, run. If you're watching via live stream today or you're watching via Good Life 45 today and, man, you've been burned by church because you got sucked into all these rules and regulations and, and cultures and customs that you didn't understand, that's not God's plan. Know that. Jesus should change the way that you see yourself because it definitely changes the way that God sees you. But if you're here and you profess to be a Christ follower, it has got to change the way that you see others and the way that you respond to the world. It has to. That's the reason why I am amazed every Sunday when I walk in and this place isn't full. And I was glad for last Sunday being friend day, but listen to me, every Sunday should be friend day here at Calvary. Now, I appreciate, your, I appreciate the applause on that, okay? You know, it's, you know what would be better than your applause? Why don't you stand with me? God, we thank you today for the reality of who you are. And God, I ask this morning that there would be no person that would be left out of what you're doing right now. I pray that there would be no condemnation in this room because condemnation is what Satan tries to use. But you, as the great I am, I love the fact that you, that you work in us, challenging us and encouraging us, giving us the desire to change. That's what conviction is. And, and God, myself included, I pray that every one of us, that we would feel that conviction right now, a desire to change, to grow in our understanding of you, to have a depth in our connection with you, and to live out the life that you want us to live. And that includes the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see others, the way that we see the world. Because we know, we know, we know that you are the way and you are the only way. God, for the person that walked in here today as a skeptic or a seeker, I thank you that you brought them here this morning for them to hear this message, for them to have a confirmation in their heart and in their mind that you are the answer for them. And God, I pray that you would give them the spiritual and intellectual courage to say yes to you right now, to say, I receive the gift, Jesus, that you provide being the gate being the bread of life. I want that in my life. I want to walk through the gate that you make available. And that gate that takes me from a world outside of a connection with God into a world where I have an intimate connection with God. And he is 
in charge of my life. Thank you that even now, God, that, that people can feel you just tenderly kind of knocking at the door of their heart. I thank you that all across this room that, that people are making decisions that are impacting their eternity. God, change the way. Change the way, oh God. Change the way that we see the world around us. Because far too often, God, we, we look at the world through eyes of arrogance or eyes of apathy. We look at the world through eyes of arrogance, oh God, and we see this bad, ugly world and, and we stand in judgment against it. Forgive us for having a posture that has nothing to do with you. Actually, it has more to do with the enemy than it has to do with you. Thank you that you're stripping that away from us right now. God, also, we, we, we get so consumed in our own life and in our own world and in our own stuff that, that when we look at the world, we look at the world through indifference or, or apathy. God, thank you that Jesus changes the way that we see the world around us. And as we as we transition in a few moments from worship and the Word to the activities of the day, let us see our world from a different point of view. That's what your Word says. Let us no longer regard others from the same point of view. So God, we commit these things to you. And we, we thank you and we praise you for them in Jesus' name. In a moment, we're going to play, pray a closing prayer. And as we do, members of our leadership team, members of our ministry team, they're going to be here across the front of the sanctuary. The Bible says this, it says that if you've got a physical need in your body, that our God is a God who heals, that, that let the elders anoint you with oil, pray a prayer over you in faith, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Word of God says this, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God will give it. The Word of God says this, where two or more agree on anything, it shall be done. It will only take a moment if you walked in here this morning with a burden, a need, or a question. Do not walk out from underneath one of these exit signs before you come forward and let one of these people pray with you real quickly. I promise you, miracles happen right here. Right here. I want to I strongly encourage you, even if you've been before, I want to challenge you, be here tonight for the Feast of Tabernacles. It is an incredible ministry. It, you, will be, you will be encouraged by the worship moved by the pageantry. But if you want to know who Jesus as Messiah is, Dr. Barry and Lana and their team, I've never seen a better demonstration of Jesus as Messiah than what they do in the Feast of Tabernacles. You will want to be here for that. Let me mention one more thing with you. John Katoff, thank you for being here today. Uh, this Wednesday evening, John Katoff is going to be speaking uh, in our Wednesday evening adult Bible study. If your schedule at all permits you to, to be there, come be a part of it. Um, he is part of a team that has a ministry called Open Table that is revolutionizing how churches and communities respond to the issue of those facing life challenges, specifically the issue of homelessness. 
And I love the fact that we're a church that we care about everyone from the greatest to the least of these. And Open Table is an incredible ministry uh, that our church is connecting with. In fact, Pastor John and Pastor Jeff, our outreach pastor, they're going to be uh, at, the, at the base of the elevators at the close of the service today. If, if God has tugged your heart on anything regarding the issue of homelessness, this is a great tool that you want to connect with. Make sure that you stop and see them before you leave today and put on your schedule Wednesday night. Elders, pastors, prayer team, please come. Father, we thank you for these moments that you've given us in your presence. We thank you for the honor of being here under the banner of Jesus. Because, as the old worship song says, there is something about that name. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. Thank you that as we go, that we can go in the name of Jesus. Thank you that as we go, that your word says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. Thank you that we can ask anything in the name of Jesus. Father, we commit all these things to you. We thank you and we praise you. It is in that name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great week. Tell somebody about Jesus this week.